In the vast landscape of personal transformation, every individual's journey is unique, filled with diverse experiences, struggles, and triumphs. Recognizing the power of storytelling as a catalyst for growth and connection, a journal club emerges as a vibrant space for people to gather, share, and inspire one another along their transformative paths. Welcome to the Pond Journal Club, a space where participants bring their narratives to life, weaving together the threads of their personal journeys. The club serves as a platform where individuals can openly express their emotions, reflect on their challenges, and celebrate their achievements. It is a space where vulnerability is embraced and participants find solace in knowing that they are not alone in their transformations. The purpose of this journal club extends beyond mere storytelling. It fosters a sense of community, providing a supportive network for individuals who share similar aspirations and experiences. By actively participating in the club, participants create connections and forge meaningful relationships based on empathy, understanding, and shared growth. As members take turns sharing their stories, the Journal Club becomes a wellspring of inspiration. Each perspective serves as a source of motivation, offering valuable lessons, insights, and strategies for overcoming obstacles, pursuing personal growth. Ultimately, the Live Journal Club serves as a transformative catalyst, empowering individuals to embrace their stories and take ownership of their personal growth. It cultivates a safe and nurturing space where narratives intertwine fostering empathy, encouragement, and the unwavering belief that everyone has the potential to grow, evolve, and find fulfillment in their transformational journeys. Welcome to the Pond Journal Club. I'm your host, Uncle Lou. And today it's just Brian and I for the Pond Journal Club. And what we'll be just covering today is from aspirations to actualization, when your transformation becomes reality. And Brian, just to go ahead and kick us off, you mind sharing your wellness score and how you're doing today? Hello, everyone. I'm going to say about a seven today, about a seven, maybe a six. I've not been very productive today, and I just read some alarming news on LinkedIn about someone I know, and it's, it has me in a contemplative space and reminded me that you need to take care of yourself first. Mm. So hold a space for him and think about how unproductive I've been today. So I'm going to say a six or seven. But I expect by the end of this podcast and by the time I go to bed at night to be up to a nine or ten because I do have a plan uh, of action to complete some work before I go to bed. Yeah, about a seven, hoping to get to a nine or ten tonight. Yeah, no, I I totally feel that. I myself, I would say, is at a six or seven as far as my wellness score. It's just been a lot going on at work really busy, a lot going on in my personal life as well. And I'm at a point where I am staying afloat and I am able to take on the challenges of the day, but it's more so just taking it a day at a time as opposed to just having the bull by the horns. You made a good point, taking it a, each day, one day at a time. That's not only just a good TV show, it is a very good practice to have. You take one day at a time and see everything, see it, but not see it through the lens of like non-judgment. So right. not judging our four minutes, six or seven or for whatever the reason we are, um, but just acknowledging it and having a plan to say, okay, I'm going to improve this. Yeah. One day at a time. That's all you can do. So I think 
this is a really good pivot into what we're talking about today. When we say when your transformation becomes reality, there becomes that we've gone through the phase of saying, hey, I want to make this change. This is something that I see for myself. It's past that conceptual state. And now we're actually putting that into reality and putting action behind those things. And it's not like a light switch. And I think that leads into the first question of reflecting on your own definition of success, what or who inspired it? Success for me is not necessarily money or status, although I think those things tie into it to some degree are a byproduct of success sometimes. But for me, it's like having meaningful impact. And I would say my students, because when I saw, when I see them, I see opportunity for meaningful impact. Yeah. And that inspires me to go hard, to put in work, to achieve my goal of success, which is having the impact on them. And I've seen the results of it. And I would say them. And if I had to go further, I did have a teacher, Maddie B. Washington. Maddie B. taught me fifth and sixth grade social studies. And uh, I still talk to her today. I go and visit her when I can. And Maddie B. was a tough lady. Maddie B. didn't play. Maddie B. also actually never really taught social studies either. <laughs> but she did teach <laughs> a lot of life lessons sitting in the chair. Never saw a gift around the board, but Maddie B had school sitting in that chair every day. She taught us a lot of life lessons. And if I got all of her students in a room, they couldn't tell you what chapter four was about or what, what social studies lesson we learned. What they can tell you is that she changed their life. And she made us learn the Gettysburg Address, the Grammar to the Constitution, and against the law, she made us learn the 23rd Psalms. Mm. And we recited the 23rd Psalms every morning after the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, wow. She did. And when they said something to her about it, she said, okay, stop me. Nobody did. Yeah. While I don't advocate for prayer and Bible teaching in public school, I don't advocate for that, but Maddie B did it. And she was just a hell of a teacher. And that's who I wanted to be. But my own way, I guess I had been Maddie B because while I'm not teaching 23rd Psalms, I have been very inclusive in my teaching practices and wanting people to be inclusive, not tolerant, because I hate that word, but inclusive and accepting. So I've done that. So in my own way, I guess I've been Maddie B. But yeah, Maddie B and my students. You said something there that really touched back to something we talked about in previous journal clubs as far as starting your PhD. And in this iteration of like conversations of betting on yourself, having that attitude like Maddie B saying, stop me. If this is something that I want to do and I believe is right, then I'm going to do it. And for you, I believe that you've practiced that for yourself with this PhD program. And what I'm curious about from there is what really inspired you to make that leap? We talked about previously being in the PH program and what that process looked like for you, but making the real leap to say, I don't want to be Brian Wesley Harrington, the teacher. I don't want to be Brian Wesley Harrington, the school counselor. I don't want to be Brian Wesley Harrington, the instructor. I want to be Dr. Harrington. I want to 
be my own consultant. I want to have my own practice. And over the past, literally over the past couple of months, as we've been talking about transformations, you've been making those steps towards making that a reality and having your first client being in a program to make you that leap like for you, because I, I think that's like a, a really challenging thing for people to do is to take that first step when they're unsure if the stone they're landing on is going to be firm or not. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Melvin. I'm going to try to make this think and not take 10 minutes to answer the question because it's a good question, but it's a lot that made me go to that leap. Loved being a school counselor was at a school and had a very crappy year. It was a very toxic work environment in my department, in my office. And I'd always wanted a PhD, but even at that time, I was thinking, I'm going to go to get a specialist and I'm going to keep working because I don't want to quit working full time, blah, blah, blah. And I was going to quit there and go back to work at a school I used to work for and drive one hour and just so I could keep being a school counselor, but I just knew I needed to get out of that school, that this wasn't the fit for me. It wasn't right. Something was off. I was not really walking in what I probably should be walking in. And mm. so I got an offer to go to another school, not the one I had intended to go to, but the one I intended to go back to rather than this. I was like, okay, cool. I go over here. It's a nice school, thing, blah, blah, blah. I get over there, hell, again, started off beautifully. And it just went to shit again. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I was talking to my lead counselor. And she would say, Brian, you're just too big for one. You just, you got so much that you are a leader. You're just too big for one school. And she ended up leaving, which is what started the hellish year for me. Because long story short, my supervisors took their anger out with her on me. And so talking to her about being too big for one school, I'm very uncomfortable at the school. And I kept thinking, this can't be life. Like, I am not happy. I am serving my kids. I'm enjoying the interactions with them, but I feel like I'm missing something. And this is not maybe where I should be, but I'm still trying to make it fit. I was trying to make it fit. And my financial advisor, he and I were meeting at the end of the year. You meet and you discuss your goals for the next year. Do you want to up your contributions and so forth? So I was talking to him about it. And he and I don't know each other very well, but I just was led to talk to him about it. He's a man of faith, like myself. And so he said, Brian, he said, I'm not telling you what to do. He said, but I will say this. As we're talking, he said, I feel God in this conversation. And I feel like there's more to you than just that school. And when he said that, he echoed the same thing that my lead counselor told me and that other people have told me. And to hear from someone that I didn't know well, and that was also a person of faith, it made me think, let me think about this. So mm -hmm. I went in prayer and I felt like I heard God say, and I, I know I heard God say, moving to another school is not going to solve the problem. It's not the answer. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to find another school to go work for. I'm going to sit and figure out what I'm going to do next. And PhD program. Yeah. To answer your question, it took me being in two very uncomfortable spaces and realizing, yeah. hey, this is not to say that every space we're supposed to be in is going to be super peaceful and comfortable, but I knew these weren't the right place. They were just placeholders. 
there was no peace yeah. there. Yeah. And it took me saying, okay, Brian, are you going to keep minimizing yourself to to be what you think you should be? Or are you going to step out on, like you said, this stone that maybe so not be so firm and see what else is out there for you? And so I knew I yeah. was a PhD and I realized that doing it, I could change by getting it and earning it and, and starting to work as a consultant, a professor, I could change so many more lives of students than I could being at one just one. And so the leap came from being uncomfortable and stepping out on faith, listening to the right people, stepping out on faith. And also at the end, just keeping my why in the front forefront of my mind saying, you know what? I know I want to impact the lives of young people through education and mental health. What better way to do it on a larger scale than this? I really love that. And thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, what you highlighted there is literally the various steps of the transformation process, right? You were in a space where understanding and identifying who you are as an individual, your priorities, your values, your red flags, your likes, dislikes, all these different things, it allowed you to recognize that the space that you were in wasn't the right fit. Sometimes you got to ask that question, right? I know whenever I was a kid, I would say, <laughs> my mom always says I'm not sports inclined, but I always called myself trying to play sports. But when I'm on the second and third string for every single team that I play on, it's, I can sit here and keep putting myself in these situations, knowing that from a personal perspective, I don't have any ambitions to really go professional with it or pursue any kind of goals outside of, I really just wanted a Jersey. Then it's like, what I'm in is essentially not a good fit. And I can take that time that I'm using on the field and apply it to something that is a better fit for me, whether it be music, for me, it was speech and debate. And I flourished through it. And I think that's something that is a really pivotal point is realizing that this truly isn't the right fit for me. And because I've done this self-reflection, I'm going to pursue what I feel to be the right fit. And I'm curious, you've talked a little bit like in previous episodes about being in the presence of your instructors, your professors and saying, Hey, these feels like my peers. These feel like my colleagues. This feels like where I belong. I'm curious when that transformation hit into reality and you became the student that you are, how have you been able to hold back some of the other behaviors before you were a student? What we talked about beforehand, working all nights, because whenever you were working, it was like, okay, I go to work and then I come home and I do whatever I want to do. And then shifting to that student aspect, what has that been like for you? It's been tough as hell. And I actually have not quite, uh, I'm not quite mastered it yet. It's been difficult because it's been a while since I've been a full-time student and it's been very difficult. I've been successful in the sense that I've gotten all my work done by the deadline, but not the way I want to get it done. Mm. I don't want to be working on it five minutes up to the point it's due and then rushing to get to class or rushing to hit the submit button. Or uh, then I'll hopped up on coffee 
and energy drink because I'm working four hours straight trying to get it done when I could have been working on it, you know, a little bit at a time all week. Um, so it's been tough. One thing I did to try to help is I created this beautifully designed, color-coded Google Calendar yeah. that I don't look at until an alert pops up to say you have 10 minutes before internship or you have 10 minutes before before multicultural counseling. I did the calendar to, to help me get some kind of organization and I'm going to start using it. This week has already started off a little unproductive as far as today, but tomorrow I go to school and I'm going to get up in the morning and look at my calendar and just say, oh, let me plan out my day. Let me put it in the forefront of what I have to do today and just keep that and use that to help me stay on track. And also, I need to, I'm going to have to remember that when I got my master's and my undergrad as a full-time student, every day wasn't a super productive day, uh. but I still got those degrees. So every day here is not going to be super productive. Every day is not going to be perfect. I'm not going to cross everything off of my to-do list. There will be some days where I get half the work done and I end up watching Suits for three hours and falling asleep. Okay, that just means the next day I got to work a little harder to catch up. So um, just remembering that this is not the first time I've been a full-time student and that I've succeeded before. This time, although it's a different kind of program, it's, a, a, it's going to take a different level of commitment, but that I can do it. But it, it has been a, a difficult transition. I think what you're talking about there, we're going to talk about in like future journal clubs. And I'm really interested to just see how some of those conversations go, because you're absolutely right. It's not like a always going to be on it. There's going to be days that you kind of slip and fall and thinking about just whenever you're taking that step of turning your, your dreams, your goals into a reality, just remembering to the fact that keeping in the forefront of your mind that it's not always going to be really easy, but, and remembering your why and remembering your goal and your passion that you're having for it, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, it does. It does. It, it makes it a whole lot easier because you yeah. have something you're, you are affixed to. You have your mind affixed on this goal. Yeah. And, and I know you were a full-time student at Brown. So leaving Tupelo, when at Tupelo, you worked. Um, yeah. I remember you working uh, at the VA or something, didn't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. So going from there, you left and you moved miles and miles away to be a full-time student. So what was that like, that transition to from Tupelo to Brown? And you were there for two years, three years? Yeah, two years. I think for me, that transition from Tupelo to Brown was it like, it was more introspective than it was a outward change experience. Yeah, I was in a new location, but fortunately for me, I knew people in Rhode Island because I did a semester exchange while I was an undergrad. And so I knew people at Brown, I knew the area a little bit. And I was in that space in my life where I wanted to do a lot of exploring. I wanted to see what was new and things of that nature. But what really was the interesting trick for me was realizing how I was going to make that transformation for myself when times got rough. 
and not no longer having the support of long-term friends or immediate family in the vicinity and learning how to um, process things internally. And so for me, I think you say it was two years, but I really think it those two years were a true incubator period because once I got out of the program, I built some skills for myself that allowed me to say, hey, once I leave Rhode Island, I can go all the way all to the another side of the country in Seattle and be perfectly fine. And so I think what that transition for, was for me was it catapulted me into my next big transition. What would you say the biggest lesson you learned during that time? You said incubator, giving birth, growing <laughs> as a person. That's what we think about. We think incubators. What would you say is the biggest lesson you learned during that time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like the biggest lesson that I learned was how significant family was to me and what my priorities and what my values were. Because for me, grad school wasn't, grad school necessarily wasn't easy. And it took a lot of understanding that why, understanding what I was doing, what my values and how it aligned to that to keep me going. And I think for me, it really helped me understand the power of having that why. And I would say that would probably be the biggest lesson that I learned from that, which honestly, there's no right or wrong time to learn what your why is or learn about your values or anything. But I think for me, that was a really pivotal moment because like I said, I was outside of my own comfort of my home and outside of the values and priorities that I was reared in and then placed in a new space. And with all of those various different variable factors that lead to having that impact, for me, it, it really helped strengthen what those values were for me and solidify that. I think I, I know that being certain of your values is very important. Huh. It's very important. If you don't know your core values, you can, be, you can be persuaded to do things on your job or in social situations, just whatever that go against, that go against who you are as a person because uh -huh. you're just going with the flow. But if you know your values, you have something to stand on and you know who you are. I feel like if they help guide you to make decisions. And I think a lot of us, you said there are no certain time to, to learn them. I don't think I learned mine until probably I was 31, 32. Mm. I knew, I knew, but I wasn't certain because if you'd asked me what success meant to me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have given you the answer I gave you today. Yeah. I would have talked yep. about money, house, like stuff like that. There's a guy I follow on TikTok. He's a screenwriter, author, influencer, Tariq Ali. Uh, and he made a video and he talked about lu what luxury is. And he talked about how when he first started making money to go buy bags and clothes and this. And he said he still he still likes those things. But he discovered what true luxury for him was. And it was being able to take six months off to learn how to screenwrite, be a screenwriter. It was him going to Vermont for a month and just spending time with other creators and learning about himself. But for me... I enjoy things. I like a good bag. 
I like a trip. I like to go out and bar hop and stuff. I love doing things that require a lot of money. But what I really enjoy is not having to worry about like deals. So yeah. for me, that doesn't mean a million dollars. That just means I make enough money to where I'm not concerned whether or not I'm going to have to eat bologna or can I go eat what I want to eat. A luxury for me is being able to say, you know what? I'm taking these two weeks off. I'm not going to see any clients. I'm not going to take over. I'm just going to do nothing. You know? Yeah. That's what luxury means to me now. And success doesn't mean a certain kind of car, a certain kind of house. It means is the work I'm doing having a meaningful impact on the community in which I serve? Am I able to do this work comfortably? I'm going to say two things. One, I think this is a, a good pivot to mention forecasting our future product that we're having with Don't Be Coy as far as an electronic journal that individuals can be able to leverage. And I know that's something you and I are working on, collaborating with Gifted Minds. Um, but I think this is a really good opportunity to mention that to help people understand how to find their why and define their why and not to be coy with that. And then interesting as far as a another pivot, as far as I, one of the reasons that I, I really wanted you to be a part of the Journal Club is because of not only your clinical, but your academic and practical spirit experience with being a counselor. And so I guess a question that I have or a final question that I have is what kind of advice would you give to individuals to stay focused and committed on their transformation goals? Stay focused and committed. Well, for one, the goal itself, I would invite people to say, one, is it a smart goal? Is it specific, measurable, attainable, all that realistic? So is it a smart goal? Also, did you set the goal or did someone set this for you? Yeah. Or did you set the goal for yourself or did you set it for someone else? Is this something that you you want to do? Yeah. Is this something that is important to you? Is this something that aligns with your core values? If yes to all of those things, then that's a good starting point. You have your goal in place. To stay focused on it, I've said this five times over the course of this episode, remember your why. And there's a quote, I can't think of who says it now, but they say, if you remember your why, you can power through any how. So oh. if you remember your why, if your why is, for example, my why is to improve the lives of young people through education and mental health. That's my why. Any how that comes up, be it having to stay up awake two nights in a row to finish assignments, having to be a full-time student for three years and not make a salary, but be a grad assistant, not being able to do things I used to do when I worked full-time, anything I encounter in academia for my professors, any kind of, we don't, we want to act like it doesn't exist. Some people want to act like it doesn't exist, but any kind of academic hazing I get. I also go to a predominantly white institution. Just anything that comes up that's going to be a barrier to me, uh -huh. if I keep my why in the forefront of my mind, it makes me say, you know what? I will deal with this and I will power through it because if I don't, I'm not going to improve the lives of young people through education and mental health. So I would advise them to have their why somewhere visible. 
at all times. I don't care if it's your lock screen, if it's a picture on your wall, whatever. Make sure your why is visible to you and that you keep it on your mind at all times. There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about whatever is true, whatever is good, what is righteous, think on these things. And Jesus was trying to tell you, think on these things to have joy and have peace. In that same vein, keeping your why and your goal in the forefront of your mind, thinking of those things help you power through those not so good. So I would say that. And I would also say community is very important. You surround yourself with people who they may not have the same goals and dreams as you, same why as you, but they support your why. When I talk to somebody about my why and my dream, I want them to light up. I want them to seem interested in it. That's, uh-huh. I know that's my community. When I talk to you, when I talk to Ashley, y'all listen. Y'all are asking questions. You're intrigued by it. You light up and you give me, you are, y'all affirm me to more and make me want to keep going. So community is very important as well. You have to have some people in your corner who fully support you and your vision and your dream. Because I don't care what anybody says, you can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. And it doesn't always mean a romantic part. It just means you you need community. You need support. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Man, as always, it's been really great. Do you have, what are those things called? Do you have those tarot cards? <laughs> they love calling them tarot cards. I actually do have one. I should put okay. a disclaimer. These are not tarot cards. <laughs> These are not tarot cards for anybody to get weirded out by anything mystical tarot cards. Because there's some people who do get weirded out by those. These are actually, they're called reminder decks. It's a reminder deck. It's 33 reminders to tap into the boundless potential we have to expand and grow. This guy, Hindsight, wonderful um, and creative. He designed these cards and they are amazing. And I watch him on YouTube sometimes as he goes through the deck and he talks about them. It's just beautiful. So I try to use them at least two or three times a week. But this one, it says, I don't know if you see it or not, but it says sometimes all that you have is all that you need. And on the back, it says, don't underestimate yourself, my friend. God has given you everything that you need to succeed. Sometimes all that you have is truly all that you need. You are ready. So I like this in the context of goal setting and staying focused on it. Sometimes we don't want to start a project or fully commit to something because, oh, I don't have this. I don't have the right camera. I don't have the right background set up. I don't have the right software. Listen, put your iPhone up. If you don't have a tripod, lean it up against the wall. If you don't have a mic, put your AirPods in. Start. Just start. If you're trying to write a book, listen, start with a little blog. Start. You have everything that you need to see within you already. Start with what you have, and every day you'll look better. This is a good reminder for me. Yeah, this is a very good reminder for me. Thank you, Hindsight. All right, man. As always, really appreciate it, man, and hope you have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Thank you for having me. In the tapestry of personal transformation, the Pawn Journal Club weaves its threads with intention and purpose, providing a dedicated space where individuals can embark on their transformative journeys with mindfulness and deliberation. By creating this nurturing environment, the club empowers participants to be intentional in their pursuit of growth, fostering a deeper connection with themselves and others. 
The purpose of the Pawn Journal Club is to provide individuals with a dedicated space to be intentional in their engagement with their transformation journeys. It offers support, connection, and inspiration as participants share their stories, learn from one another, and foster a community rooted in growth. Within the live sessions, individuals find solace and support as they navigate their transformations. They share their stories, vulnerabilities, and triumphs, knowing that they are met with understanding and empathy. Their shared experience cultivates a sense of community where members uplift and inspire one another, fostering an environment of collective growth. Want to participate in the next Journal Club? Register at dpkpodcast.com or watch live via YouTube at www.youtube.com forward slash at the Pond Journal Club.